The title of this morning's message is The Armor of the Finished Work, Part 2. This morning, I want to continue to talk to you from chapter 6 of Ephesians, where we find the full armor of God, which in reality is Jesus and his finished and victorious works. We will start in verse 10 again and work our way through to verse 18. Some of the information you will hear will simply be review, and some information will simply be expounded upon what you've already heard, and then some of the information presented will actually be new. The armor of God is actually everything that Jesus accomplished through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension applied to us. Each piece points us to the finished works of Jesus and invites us to understand the fullness, the bigness, the goodness of our salvation so that we can live out the victorious life of Christ. It is from understanding or putting on or sinking down into, whichever vernacular you like, we put these truths in us and embracing those makes us effective in what the Apostle Paul calls spiritual warfare, because it is truth that destroys the power of a lie. And according to the Apostle Paul, spiritual warfare is all about recognizing what is actually true about ourselves, our Savior, and our salvation, especially in the midst of difficult situations. Satan, as our already defeated adversary, is simply a liar. <laughs> Michelle told us that. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You just wait. <laughs> he is the father or source of all lies. And lies are actually his only weapon. So what we fight against are his lies and schemes. If he can get us to believe his lies... He can just stand back and watch us destroy ourselves because that's the power of agreement. In the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, one of the definitions of agreement is the union of opinions. Satan loves to give us his opinion. And unfortunately, if we don't know better, we go, oh, that's right. <laughs> You're a failure. Oh, that's right. <laughs> He is a liar. Another uh, definition is called like-mindedness. That's what agreement is. Like-mindedness happens when we don't recognize a lie as a lie. And we just agree with the thoughts <laughs> that appear in our head. So all Satan has to do is whisper his thoughts into our head where so many believers take them as being their own thoughts. And then they agree with those thoughts as being true. And then those thoughts start to enable the thoughts to destroy their lives in one way or another. For instance, this past week, a beautiful, upper-class, 23-year-old young lady was found dead in her vehicle from an overdose of opioids. This young lady literally, physically had everything in the world she needed. She was raised by God-loving parents who loved her and supported her, and who was also raised in the knowledge of God. She had every reason to expect to have a blessed and fruitful life. 
So why did this tragedy happen? The bottom line is she believed lies. Lies like, I won't become addicted. That can't happen to me. A little won't hurt me. It's just for fun. I can handle it. I'll only do it one more time. I can stop any time I want. I know what I am doing. Do you hear a whole lot of self? <laughs> Reliance in those comments? Oh, yes. They're lies, lies, and more lies. But so many young people in particular believe these kinds of lies. Behind those kinds of lies, there's even more lies, driving the lies. Satan loves to plant lies in our subconscious when we're even children. So he can whisper to someone at the age of four, mommy and daddy don't love you. That child doesn't know if that's true or not. But if they somehow get that message, that message will propel them into a life of self-destruction, and they won't even know why they're doing it. All of these lies are usually lies about God and what he's really like. Those are his favorites, I think. And then there are lies about who we are and how valuable we are. He lies to us constantly. He lies to people about the existence of Satan. Because if there is no real enemy, then there is no reason to be on guard against his lies. The lies that bring forth death and destruction, even into the lives of believers. This young lady was tricked into destroying herself. Satan didn't touch her. He didn't stick a needle in her arm. He didn't do any of that. Now, is he the culprit? Absolutely, 100%. But in order to get her to do that, he had to convince her of these lies. That I'm strong enough all by myself. This won't take control of me. After all, I live in a good neighborhood. That doesn't happen to people like me. He only had to deceive her <laughs> into believing in her own ability to handle the drugs. Then, it was just a matter of time. The lie did all the work. Satan doesn't even have to hang around and pester you. All he's got to do is plant a lie in your life. And if we don't know it's a lie, we will act like it's true. And we won't even know why. That's the power of a lie. Once it's implanted through agreement, it continues to slowly bring forth death and destruction, but as an undetected source. People don't realize what it is that has happened to them. They are at the mercy of an invisible enemy, so they don't think it's real. Most of the time, <laughs> believers included, we don't really know why we make the choices we make. But if our choices aren't actually beneficial to us in our life, then we are believing a lie somewhere. And that lie can empower us to continue to choose harmful things that can eventually, literally, destroy us. Now you may be thinking, well, I don't do drugs, so this really doesn't apply to me. <laughs> but the truth is, all of us probably have a drug of choice. That's what they're called. For me, it would probably be ice cream. 
for Mark, it would be pizza, definitely, hands down. He cannot walk past the pizza. <laughs> so we purposely have to limit our intake of these drugs of choice so that those choices don't eventually cause a health crisis in our lives. Because it is a deception to believe that we can feed our bodies anything we want and as much as we want and still be healthy. It's true. <laughs> now, for others, their drug of choice may be hanging around people they know are not good for them. Or choosing risky and dangerous behaviors like driving way too fast. Teenagers in particular may choose shoplifting. Some people choose gambling with the rent money. <laughs> or some just choose to become liars themselves. And they lie to those in authority, and eventually even to those they love. All of these behaviors are chosen by us to make us feel better and happier in the short run. <laughs> but the truth is, all of these choices can have long-term, far-reaching, detrimental effects on our lives. And most of us, from time to time, fall into believing the same kinds of lies that this 23-year-old lady believed. A little won't hurt me. It's just for fun. I can handle it. I'll just do it one more time. I can stop any time. I know what I'm doing. And the truth is, these are all lies. Which is why it is so important for us to understand and agree with the finished and victorious works of Jesus. So let's begin again by reading about our wonderful armor and Savior in the sixth chapter of Ephesians, beginning with verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In other words, we trust in his strength and power that's already within us. <laughs> we rely solely on what Jesus has done for us and as us. We never should trust our flesh head. <laughs> your brain is not always your friend. <laughs> your brain has everything that's ever happened to you in your life stuck in there. And when you need an answer for something, your brain goes looking for an answer. But if our subconscious is full of lies that we never even realized we believed, what is the result we're going to get? A lie. So instead, we have to understand that Jesus has already overcome all the power of sin and death and all the power of our flesh head <laughs> on our behalf. Our flesh head is not our boss. <laughs> it's a computer. And we have something called a mind that's higher and it's spiritual and we can hear things the brain doesn't understand. It is the mind that controls the brain. But unfortunately, so often, we let our brain control us. Yes, your brain will call to you at 2 o'clock in the morning. Don't you want some ice cream? <laughs> your brain will call you <laughs> and say, isn't it about time for coffee? It never says, hey, isn't it time to exercise? <laughs> no, it's not interested in exercise. It wants to be happy. <laughs> 
<laughs> the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has already set us free from the law of sin and death, which includes the junk in our flesh head. <laughs> Verse 11, put on, sink down into the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We do not fight Satan. He's already done. <laughs> he simply continues to lie to us to get us to cooperate with his schemes to destroy us. The wiles of the devil are the tricks and the schemes of the enemy. He tries to deceive us by throwing thoughts into our head about anything and everything, literally, in the hopes that he will trick us into coming into agreement with his lies and thereby eventually destroy ourselves to some degree. But if we put on the whole armor of God, let these truths sink down into who we are until we realize we are already clothed, <laughs> these truths about Jesus and his finished work, we can continue to stand in our God-given victory. We always fight from or stand in the place of victory. Literally. <laughs> we are not trying to get victory from our Father. We are making sure that we are keeping our victory that he's already provided. In other words, we are in the process of keeping Satan from stealing what already belongs to us. <laughs> So by faith, we just keep standing in the victory first. Doesn't matter what the outside says, oh, you're still a failure. Nope. Completely victorious. I'm not what I do. I am what Jesus says I am. Now, our command is to stand. It's not to fight. It's to stand. Satan is afraid of us. We don't have to fight with him. James tells us, all you got to do Submit to God. <laughs> submit to love, submit to grace. Go ahead and submit to God. Satan runs away. He does not like us. He knows how powerful we really are. <laughs> so we just keep standing in what Jesus has accomplished for us. So I looked up the word stand in the Webster's 1828 dictionary. It has like 30 or 40 different definitions. <laughs> It means to stand upon your feet. We understand that. But it also means to not sit, kneel, or lie down. A lot of times when people get the revelation of grace, especially in the reference to healing, they go, oh, I already have it. Yay, Jesus. And they sit down and do nothing. Guess what you're going to get? Nothing. <laughs> okay. We have it. But if we're sick, we have to push the power of that sickness away. We have to stand in the victory, do whatever God tells us to do to apprehend or manifest what we already have. We can't sit down and do nothing. This is one of the complaints, if you will, that Andrew Womack tells his students at Karis Bible College because that's exactly what they do. They believe. They believe that Jesus died for their healing. They believe it, and they say, Yay, I received it. And then they sit down. <laughs> we have to stay standing to reject all of the lies, all of the deceptions, like, doesn't matter what you eat, 
<laughs> really? <laughs> it is if you're sick. <laughs> Even Andrew found that out because he was so strong at staying well that everyone looked up to him and figured, well, if he can do it, we can, which is true. But he also told people, it doesn't matter what you eat. Eat whatever you want, just bless it. And someone had talked to me about this, and I said, well, you know why he got cancer? Not for a spiritual reason. Because your body is designed to destroy cancer. If it has all the right substances at its fingertips. If we don't give our body the nutrients and supplements, whatever that is, that we need, our body can develop cancer all by itself. Just like your brain, it just does its own thing. <laughs> so I was able to tell this person, he didn't eat what was good for him because he said, well, I'll just bless it and it'll be just fine. If that works for you, great. It didn't work for him. <laughs> and it took him five years to overcome cancer. He never went to chemo treatment or anything like that. God told him, you're going to do this the way you preach. You're going to stand. You're going to keep standing. No matter how big it gets, no matter how ugly it is, you're going to stand. You're going to stand on the word. You're going to believe that you have received, and you're going to do it every single day. No sitting is allowed. <laughs> Satan will deceive you into sitting. I just rest in my healing. If you've manifested, absolutely. If you haven't manifested, you've got to stand. It also means to be placed on its foundation, whatever the it is. For us, we have been placed on our foundation, which is Jesus and his finished work. To stand means to not be overthrown or demolished. It's impossible. We can't be overthrown or demolished unless we help him, <laughs> unless we believe him. <laughs> to be placed or situated, to have a certain position or location. Love this. We have position and location. We are sons of God in Christ Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And we have all power and authority because Jesus gave it to us. <laughs> it also means to remain upright, no sitting, <laughs> in a moral sense. In other words, not to fall. We don't buy the lies of Satan and choose things that will hurt us. To stand means to stop, halt, and not to proceed. In other words, we don't move off of the truth. The next one says to be in a state of fixedness, hence to continue, to endure, not to vacillate. I kind of like this one because of the word endure. When you are standing in a situation, <laughs> you're going to have to endure. <laughs> because as much as we would like our faith to manifest everything immediately, more often than not, it isn't immediate. Now, we have everything we need for life and godliness through the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's in our spiritual account. It's in the heaven that's within us, and God causes it to manifest through our faith. Sometimes that takes a while, <laughs> because Satan is always sowing seeds of unbelief. Did you feel that? See, you're not healed. <gasps> Did you see that thing in the mirror? You see, you're not healed. <laughs> always trying to talk us out of what we already have. It also means to continue unchanged. And I like this one in particular, to be in or to maintain a posture of resistance or defense. 
We have to stay standing until the manifestation comes. We need to be aware of what Satan's trying to do. He wants to destroy us. See, that's just it. He wants to destroy us, but he can't. He can't unless we believe his lies. So he always has to try to trick us into coming into agreement with him so that we'll destroy ourselves in our physical lives somewhere through bad choices. And the last one, I like this one too, to be satisfied or convinced. When we are convinced of who and what we are in Christ and convinced that he has already conquered everything on our behalf, we will be satisfied in our hearts. When we find our satisfaction in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we will automatically stop looking for something on the outside to satisfy the inside. And we will be able to continue standing against all the lies and the deceptions of the enemy. Verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. All these demonic entities only have one power. Lies. Doesn't matter what their rank is doesn't matter how important they think they are. (laughs) They're all destroyed. They don't have power over believers. What they have is the ability to convince us of things that are not true. We see that in rulers all around the world. (laughs) The other point of this is we're not fighting against people. Sometimes I'd like to pray bad things on people in government. (laughs) That's not God's will. (laughs) that's the temptation (laughs) you know if this person disappeared (laughs) that's not nice (laughs) open their eyes Jesus open their eyes Jesus (laughs) see the problem isn't the people the problem is the lies they believe that's the real problem so we wrestle against lies and in wrestling wrestling starts with two people standing and ends with somebody on the ground. So what we do is we keep standing. Satan wants to trick us into sitting down, lying down. It's really easy to conquer somebody and put your foot on them when they're already on the floor. (laughs) Where is Satan? Under our feet. Sometimes we forget he is completely defeated. If we say, get under my feet, that is where he lies down. (laughs) So this wrestling is simply us maintaining our ability to stand in faith in God's grace and not listening to the lies, not giving in to temptations, not doing the stupid stuff we know is bad for us (laughs) because all those things have consequences. So he's always trying to get us off of the truth. That's the bottom line. Verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand, that's resisting, in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. To take the whole armor is to take the whole truth about what Jesus has done for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. When I first came into the saving knowledge of Christ, I knew nothing. (laughs) I came to Christ at 10. I wasn't discipled. 
long story short, I ended up in a holiness church around age 21. <laughs> but I, even then, I still knew practically nothing. I had no concept of what Jesus had done. I was taught I was a forgiven sinner. And that if I sinned again, even once, or even on accident, I could lose my salvation. And then God would be mad at me, or at least disappointed in me. So when I fell short of perfection, <laughs> I believed I had to ingratiate myself to God through begging and sorrow and apologies in order for God to accept me back into his good graces. Now, absolutely none of that was true. <laughs> God does not deal with us one sin at a time. That's an old covenant mindset. The Israelites had a sin-by-sin, lamb-by-lamb salvation. But we have an eternal lamb with sinless blood that came from heaven once and poured out his blood once for all sin, for all time, and for all people. Once, forever, for everyone. Jesus dealt with all sins once, all of them, for eternity, all the sins people will ever commit have already been dealt with by Jesus. <laughs> and they say, how can he do that with sins that are in the future? He's eternal. His blood is eternal. It is eternally effective. Praise God. <laughs> so Jesus dealt with all sins once forever, and that's why he sat down. He finished dealing with our sins. In fact, he finished dealing with everybody's sins. Now we have non-imputation of sin. God is no longer counting man's sins against him, not even the sinners. He's not counting their sins against them. The blood of Jesus has made the way open for them to come to salvation, but they're not saved. God's just not counting their sins against them. He's not judging them either. Unbelievers cooperate with Satan. <laughs> and death and destruction comes into their life. God is not judging anybody's sin because he's already dealt with them all at the cross. Unfortunately, not every man wants what God has done for them through the blood of Jesus. So we are forgiven of all our sins once and forever, and that's because when God applies his forgiveness to us, we become new creations. <laughs> he kills us off <laughs> when he forgives us. <laughs> and he gives us a brand new, pure, clean, and holy spirit man who then marries himself to the Lord Jesus Christ and we become one spirit with him. And then our brand new husband has the audacity to move us into a brand new kingdom. <laughs> you marry him and he just takes you with him everywhere he goes. <laughs> So the new covenant salvation is a whole lot more than the old covenant idea of forgiveness of one sin at a time. Now, there are some people who, when they hear this, want to protest that we are giving people a license to sin, when in actuality, we're telling them that at salvation, God gives us grace divine enablement to not sin by taking sin out of us and filling us with the Holy Spirit. 
He gives us new hearts, new lives, and new identities. And the scripture says, behold, all things really have become new. So when our hearts find out (laughs) that they're only satisfied with Jesus and his grace, then our hearts won't go looking for life and love and satisfaction from something or someone in the world. When our hearts are satisfied that Jesus has really actually done everything that was needed for my complete and total salvation, that's when I know I have put on, (laughs) I have believed by faith in the truth of the whole armor of God, which is the whole truth of our salvation in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I have this particular verse in two other versions because I want you to see what is behind the words, having done all. Because when you read that, you're like, having done all what? What's all? What's doing all? What does that pertain to exactly? (laughs) Well, I have it in the Weymouth and the Jubilee versions. Weymouth first. Therefore, put on, sink down into the truth of the complete armor of God, so that you may be able to stand your ground on the day of battle. And having fought to the end to remain victors on the field. And then Jubilee says, Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and unfortunately they still come, (laughs) and stand fast. Why? Because all the work having been finished. There's nothing we can do to make God like us. There's nothing we need to do to make God love us. He's done everything so that we could be freely accepted because of the blood of Jesus. So we can just keep standing. I particularly like these translations because we can see that the victory is ours from beginning to end. We remain victors because we begin as victors. And then in the Jubilee version, it emphasizes that we can stand fast in our faith in God's grace because Jesus has already done all the work of salvation. And now all we do is stand by faith in his truth and grace. This is good news. Verse 14, stand therefore, (laughs) because you already have your loins good about with truth. And you already have on the breastplate of righteousness. It's Jesus' truth and Jesus' righteousness. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I want to take a little closer look at this word preparation. Oftentimes, ministers will teach that this is actually something we do. They say that this is when we prepare ourselves to share the gospel of peace either through evangelism or through teaching and preaching. It is often married with the verse that says, how beautiful are the feet of them that bring good news. But the truth is, I don't see any of that in this scripture. All of the armor of God is what God the Father has already provided for us through Jesus the Son. Now, can Jesus lead us to minister the gospel of peace? Absolutely. But this verse says absolutely nothing about preaching or sharing the gospel. The hard part of this verse is the word preparation. Some translations use the word readiness, 
which really doesn't help much with understanding. <laughs> so first we need to remember that the shoes of the gospel of peace are a gift of God's grace, just like everything else and the armor. And our Jesus has already paid every penalty that we owed to God because of our sins through his sacrifice. God the Father has reconciled the whole world unto himself, making peace between himself and all mankind. This is the gospel of peace. This is what changes our hearts. <laughs> God, through Christ, has broken down the wall of sin that used to separate all mankind from himself. But now through Christ, he has swung open the gates to his kingdom and invited, imagine this, God has invited the whole world to come into his kingdom. <laughs> you don't have to be good, just come. You don't have to be righteous, just come. You don't have to be a certain color or a certain gender. You don't have to be anything but who you are, just come, just as you are. That's the gospel of peace. He can do this because sin no longer separates God from humanity. Sin that will never be able to separate us from our Father, from our Jesus, or from the Holy Spirit. You cannot make Holy Spirit leave you. You cannot make Holy Spirit leave you. One of the things I was taught when I, my little holiness church was that oh, you can grieve the Holy Spirit, and that means that he leaves you, and you won't come back until you make it right. That's dumb. <laughs> to grieve is to make sad. That's all it is. Can we make Holy Spirit sad? Mm -hmm. It's really easy. Just ignore him. <laughs> if you ignore the Holy Spirit, yeah, he gets sad because he knows what you're doing will end in death and destruction. So just submit to God. Submit to love. Submit to grace. So Jesus has opened the way to the kingdom and has satisfied the justice of God against sin. So sin no longer separates mankind from God. And if sin cannot separate man from God, then nothing can separate us from God. And that's the good news of the peace between God and man. And this is the truth that keeps us standing in grace by faith. I used to try to make deals with God. God, if I read my Bible an hour a day, will you do? God, if I, if I sacrifice Financially, will you bless me? See, I was always about what I could do for him. I never knew I was insulting God so badly. <laughs> because why was I trying to trade acts of service for his love, for his acceptance? The Church of Jesus Christ is bound up and in prison to that kind of thinking that I have to do I have to do something for God to like me, for God to bless me, for God to love me. And it's not true. He loves me because he's him. And he loves me because I'm me. <laughs> and he created me. It's not about anything I can do ever and I never have to make a deal <laughs> or trade everything the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit have has been transferred into my account all of it he just wants us to actually believe it <laughs> so let's take a little closer look at this word preparation this might be a little bit hard to to follow but I wanted you to see how I got to this result 
The word preparation in the Strong's Concordance is Strong's number 2090. Het whatever. It's Hebrew, I don't Greek, Greek. But it comes from the root word 2092, which is simply translated preparation. If you look up preparation, even in the Webster's, it'll say, hey, go see the root word, prepare. That way you'll get a better understanding of how these two words work together. That's what this is. The Greek word 2092 simply means to prepare, and it actually has shall with it, shall prepare. It is different. To us, it looks like it's the same word, but in the Greek, it's, it's actually a different word. But it's based on the root word. It says compare. When you go look at number 2092, it gives you that definition, and then it says compare it with this other word, which is 2680. And if you look up 2680, it is shall prepare. <laughs> but it's a completely different word, and it says this, to prepare thoroughly. So it's not just prepare or make ready, it's to prepare thoroughly, properly by external equipment. That's what I wanted you to see. If the preparation of the gospel of peace was something we did, something external, this is the word they would have used. But it gives us a clarification, whereas the number 2090 rather refers to internal fitness. In other words, one of the ways they explain this word is adjusted. <laughs> These shoes have been adjusted for us. <laughs> Why? Because if your shoes don't fit, you're going to mess up. <laughs> you're going to be tripping all over yourselves. The shoes of the gospel of, of peace fit us perfectly. He has done an internal work that we are completely fit for God. He has made us his perfect bride. He has made us perfectly at peace with himself that we can't mess up by doing something externally. It's an internal perfection. So I understand ministers wanting to say you need to witness. <laughs> you, you need to you know, read the Bible. Absolutely. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about what the gospel of peace does for us. Roman soldiers had these shoes that they specially issued from the government, and they had nails in the bottom, like spikes, like football shoes, you know, so that you had great traction. So it would be almost impossible to knock you off your stance. That's what the gospel of peace, the gospel of grace, does. It gives us tractions that we're standing in faith, in the grace that is immovable. You can't mess up grace. <laughs> he has made you perfect. You can't mess it up. Now that perfection is on the inside, and he's the one that helps us bring the perfection on the outside. But it's never based on something we do. Our acceptance and our peace with God is all about the blood of Jesus and nothing but the blood of Jesus. So our shoes are the good news of peace. It has everything to do with the inside being spiritually adjusted and made ready. Made ready for what? Made ready to stay standing in our Father's amazing grace and not be tempted to try to make deals and try to repent and, and fast and do all these things to hurt myself <laughs> so that he will bless me. That's works. It's all works and it's all garbage. It is only the blood of Jesus that makes me blessable. It is the 
immovable grace of God. Our unbreakable peace with God is the foundation. Literally, 20 years in my salvation, I spent the whole time trying to become perfect, trying to become holy, trying to become righteous. I was always working on me. It's really dumb. Because <laughs> it's kind of like this. And then looking for my glasses. I used to do this. Take my glasses off because I'm nearsighted. Put them top of my head, do stuff, and come back and go, where did I leave those glasses? I can't find them anywhere. You walk past the mirror, you go, oh, <laughs> silly, you put them on your head. You still have them. We do that with salvation. We do that with our blessings. We have them. They're on our head. <laughs> and we go looking for them outside. <laughs> The truth is, our unbreakable peace with God is the foundation on which we stand in every battle. Because Satan will surely tell us that God has abandoned us when something goes wrong. He will tell us that God is mad at us because we failed. Or even that he no longer accepts us because of our wrong behavior. But the truth is, through Christ, we have been made ready for every battle and trial. You're ready to take on Satan. You're ready to stomp on him. You've been fully equipped to do him damage. <laughs> we are not trying to win. We are defending and protecting what is already ours in truth. Just because we can't see it, doesn't mean it's not real and true. We cannot ask our emotions <laughs> if we have been thoroughly equipped. <laughs> our emotions will most likely be under the influence of lies, bringing us fear and doubt and unbelief. So we have to always go back to the truth of what Jesus and his finished works has accomplished on our behalf. Verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. First of all, where do we get this shield? Same place we got all the other pieces of armor. <laughs> we don't make it ourselves. We don't make our own shield. It's given to us as a gift. The government issues everything you need. Christ has issued everything we need to be protected by our shield of faith. Each one of us has been issued the shield of faith. Ah, when we were born again. This faith is the very faith of Jesus Christ. We can see this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have it for you in the AFV version. I have been crucified with Christ, yet I live. Indeed, it is no longer I, but Christ lives in me. For the life that I am now living in the flesh, I live by faith, that very faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We have the faith of the Son of God. The word of means comes from. <laughs> Where do we get our faith? From Jesus. He 
the one that persuades our heart. He's the one that reveals the truth. Our faith comes from him. So our shield of faith is a gift from him. Now we have to be able to activate it. To activate our faith, we must act on our faith. Faith always has a corresponding action. Always. One of the primary actions that we make use of is speaking. We speak to that mountain. We speak to that storm. We speak to our own hearts the words of faith and truth in the midst of a battle, a storm, or a temptation. The Apostle Paul references the power of this speaking in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, which says this. We, having the same spirit of faith, according to, as it is written, I believed, and therefore I have spoken. We believe, and therefore we speak. When it says, according to what is written, he's saying, somebody said this once before in the Old Testament. And he's right, of course. And he's quoting David. And I have this for you in the Passion Translation. It says this. Even when it seems I am surrounded by many liars and my own fears, and though I am hurting in my suffering and trauma, I still stay faithful to God and speak words of faith. David is speaking of the greater truths of who his God is and what he knew his God would do for him on his behalf. This is spiritual warfare. Speaking words of faith while you're still in the middle of the battle, surrounded by lies and liars <laughs> and fear and pain. <laughs> for us, as New Covenant believers, speaking words of faith are those words that are based on the truth of the finished works of Jesus. Our confidence isn't in what God will do. I love this. I love the Old Testament, but it's not our testament, <laughs> not our covenant. It doesn't work the same. <laughs> our confidence isn't in what God will do, but in the reality that he's already done. We cannot move God. We cannot move God. Not with our faith, not with our begging, not with our giving. We cannot move God. God has already done, provided everything we will ever need through the Lord Jesus Christ. What happens is we activate our faith and it looks like God did something. <laughs> but we're actually only accessing what was already there to begin with. Christ has already overcome all the power of the enemy. And that's where we start from. We have been made more than conquerors. So all we do is stand in grace by faith. Now, I have the same verse for you to see, but, uh, but I've underlined part of it. Verse 16 again. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The root word for able in this phrase, wherewith ye shall be able, actually paints a picture that's quite a bit stronger than the English does. The root word for able includes the Greek word dunamis, dynamite power. It says, yeah, you are able. That doesn't sound like you've been empowered. <laughs> but we have. The word here means miracle working power. So this word expresses the idea of being divinely abled by the power of God himself to do what he's asked us to do, to stay standing. We have the power. 
We don't just have the faith. We also have the power to go along with the faith. Even if we don't feel powerful, one of Satan's favorite lies is to tell us that we are weak and powerless. <laughs> and that we will never be able to overcome any of our personal obstacles. It's a lie. Don't agree with him. <laughs> and it's designed to get us to believe what we feel. You see, his lies can stir up all kinds of negative emotions, feelings. In particular, fear. Fear is never from God. Never. If you feel fear, you're under attack. Because God never uses fear, ever. It's not his weapon. Love is his weapon. We do not have to believe our fears just because they show up from time to time. <laughs> fear is only present because we haven't yet activated the shield of faith by speaking the truth of who we are in Christ and what we know he has already accomplished, what he has already made us to be. So this scripture tells us that we have been divinely enabled by God to overcome fear and all of Satan's lies by the word of our testimony and the power of his blood. You see, we don't overcome by his blood alone. We have to take up the shield of faith and speak. We have to use power and authority. We have to do something about what he's trying to do to us. <laughs> we have to pick up the shield of faith. Yes, it's already been given to us, but we can lay it down and ignore it. I don't need that word of God. I don't need that prayer time. I don't need any worship. I can just stay home and sleep in on Sunday morning. I don't need that. Don't listen to him. <laughs> we need to take up our shield based in the truth of what God's already done. And we just keep speaking the truth of our faith until the fear is extinguished by our divinely enabled faith. And this scripture says all of the fiery darts can be extinguished by our shield of faith. Some of them can take a little longer than others. <laughs> But if we just keep speaking our faith, the word says they will be extinguished because you are divinely empowered to believe. You are divinely enabled to keep standing. Some of them will take a little longer, but if we just keep at it, those lies will be destroyed and extinguished, period. We just gotta stay standing in our victory and lifting our shield. Verse 17. And take, here again it says take. You see, this isn't part of the body armor. This is something you have to take and put on. <laughs> Just like you have to lift up the shield. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Of course, take means you have to activate it. You have to purposely put it in your mind. We need to remember and recognize what these pieces of armor are and how they work with us and for us. I believe the Apostle Paul put these two things together on purpose. Did you notice they're not separate? Because <laughs> they work together. Now, I have the word salvation underlined, and that's because it's not actually the word normally translated as salvation. The word for salvation is usually number 4991, and it's soteria. It means to be rescued or safety, to deliver. It includes health, salvation in its fullness. Saved, healed, delivered, protected, provided for. Anything you need, that's salvation. 
Okay, this is also where we get the word sozod. We, in James it says we lay hands on the sick and God will sozod them. <laughs> it includes healing and wholeness, the payment of sins. It means to be delivered or protected from danger. It means to be made safe. That if you were to reduce the word salvation, soteria, into one word, it would actually be the word safe. Isn't that funny? Because Satan's always trying to make sure we don't believe we're safe. <laughs> so this Greek word in this sentence is just slightly different. Okay, it's close. It's the word soterion. And according to the Thayer's Greek lexicon, soterion means salvation bringing. And that's how it's worded in the Greek, salvation bringing. When Simeon saw Jesus, and held him in his arms, he says, I can close my eyes in death and be at peace because I have seen your salvation. This word is only used five times. But it's the salvation bringing is actually what he said. He recognized that Jesus was the bringing of salvation. It wasn't just salvation itself. It was the one who was bringing it. I really like this definition because it implies that something is causing or bringing forth salvation in and through our lives. I think we can better understand this word if we look at Titus 2, verses 11 and 12, which says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation, that's salvation bringing, <laughs> for the grace of God, salvation bringing, has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The reason we want to live this way is so that the salvation bringing <laughs> is brought forth in us and through us by God's grace. His absolutely free loving kindness at work in us and through us. So instead of calling this piece of armor the helmet of salvation, we could very rightly call it the helmet of God's grace the grace that brings forth the salvation by faith. So what we do is accept the truth that everything God has done and everything God will do is based on his grace, and we believe him, period. I like it because, one, it is Jesus. When it says grace has appeared, well, they're talking about Jesus. <laughs> He's the bringer of salvation, and our helmet is the bringer of salvation. Now, salvation can be the healing, that provision, that person you're waiting for. He's the bringer. That's what we put on our head. The salvation bringer is at work in us, bringing salvation through and into our lives. Now, the word of the Spirit can be interpreted a little different, too. <laughs> it's very different from what you normally hear ministers preach. But I hope I can convince you. It says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, we usually understand this to mean the Bible. <laughs> the Bible is the Word of God. But it would actually be more accurate if we interpreted it this way. Ephesians 6, 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword, comma, the Spirit, comma, which is the rhema, of God. It's not referring to scriptures. It can include scriptures, <laughs> but it's not actually referring to something you read. 
is referring to something you hear. If we understand that God gives us all of this equipment, it's nothing on the outside, then the Bible can't be the sword he's talking about. And the reason is, not every believer has a Bible or had a Bible. For the past 2,000 years, the literacy rate in the entire world was very low, like 10% or less. And books were extremely expensive. Normal folks didn't have books. And this has been continued to be true until the 20th century. So the sword of the Spirit can't be a Bible. Now, I am absolutely not saying the Bible is not important. <laughs> it absolutely is. But the Bible without the Holy Spirit to bring it to life is just a really good book that contains a lot of truth. I kind of look at it this way. You see, a sword, one, is attached to you, and you don't let a sharp sword just hang on your body. It would slice you up as you walked. You would have to have a sheath for your sword. We think of the sheath as the written word of God. What is the Holy Spirit's favorite thing to do? To pull a word out of the Bible for you. <laughs> okay, but the Holy Spirit is the sword. He is that which brings life and life. It is the Holy Spirit speaking what Jesus tells him to speak that is powerful and effective. Many people study the scripture as a book not as a revelation. They can read the whole Bible and not get saved. Because unless you're looking for truth, unless you're looking for Jesus, you won't find him. He'll come knocking, but lots of people have read the Bible and it's just a book to them. One of the things that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said to you. And then uh, John 16, 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, you see, how do you dispel a lie? You destroy a lie by bringing forth the truth. That's the sword. But the truth is, Holy Spirit isn't using his sword on Satan. Who's he using it on? Us! <laughs> he cuts out those lies. He pulls them out. He does it with his spoken word of God. His favorite way, by far, is through the word. Because then you have something to verify that you've heard the Holy Spirit. The word of God will always verify the truth the Holy Spirit speaks to us. But it is Holy Spirit who is actually the sword. Us just knowing the truth is not as effective is us hearing the truth in the moment that we need it. Years ago, I had a little box with scriptures on them, and I would pick one out, and when I go on my walk, I would go over that scripture over and over. And I'd get back from my walk, and i put it back in my little box. One of them was, let not your heart be troubled. It's a great scripture. But it didn't do anything for me that day. Several months later, I get a phone call in the middle of the night. My dad has had a heart attack. Lord, what do I pray? Here comes the sword. Let not your heart be troubled. 
speak to his heart. Let not your heart be troubled. I'm not going to be troubled and you're not going to be troubled because the word of God says so. That's the sword of the spirit, bringing the right word at the right time so that we can keep standing in faith and not go running off into fear. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the sword that has been issued to us by God. Lastly, the last verse, verse 18, says this. What do we do with all this armor? (laughs) Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Now, what you don't see what the word uh, always actually means. It actually says praying through every occasion. See, praying through is a whole lot different than just praying always. (laughs) What are we praying through? What is he talking about in this whole thing here? He's talking about temptations and trials and battles, things that come against us. What do we do? Do we pray and then sit down and rest? (laughs) If we haven't had the manifestation yet? No! We keep standing on the truth. We keep calling those things that are not as though they were. We keep standing on the truth of God's grace and our already finished victory. When we know who we are and all that Jesus has done for us and provided for us, it changes the way we pray. First and foremost, we're not begging God to do stuff anymore. We're not trying to spend hours trying to get clean anymore. We can come boldly to the throne of grace and access everything we want and need. It's free because of his grace. We can have confidence at the throne of grace. The only thing he has there is grace and mercy. No judgment. Understanding these truths changes the way we pray because we start our prayer from the place of victory. We have been fully equipped and through the finished works of Jesus to handle We have been made ready to handle every temptation, every hardship, every sickness, every evil. And that evil means anything that hurts you. (laughs) God doesn't want stuff hurting us. He says that's evil with that thing should hurt us. We just need to remember that we begin as victors and we end the battle as victors. We just keep standing in and on the truth of our already present victory that has been given to us by grace through faith. Amen? Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Father God, that we don't have to become a victor. We don't have to win a certain amount of battles or go through a certain amount of trials to have the label overcomer. You have done all the overcoming and you are the bringer of salvation. You are the one that we wear on our head. You are the one always at work by your spirit. You are always giving us the exact word we need at the exact time so that we can continue to stand in faith and believe to receive all that you have already provided for us. Father God, I thank you that you by your spirit, make us to be patient when we don't feel patient. You make us to feel joy when the things on the outside are not joyful. You make us to be able to see with new eyes into our new creation reality and into the very kingdom of God. And Father God, we thank you that this is the truth 
of all that your grace has provided us. And we thank you, Father, for all of our victory. It's all a gift. In Jesus' name, amen.